Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Looks like the sun is shining outside. It's, just, it's good to know that we have a God that's unchanging. And um, yeah, he is in control. I just want to acknowledge um, a couple songs that we sang here this morning. Um, the one we just sang about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're welcoming the Holy Spirit to lead us. And then the first song that we sang here this morning, I'm just going to refer to part of the verses there. In the second verse, it says, um, Gentle Holy Spirit, quiet now each restless heart, to troubled minds tranquility. Tender Holy Spirit, open every heart to hear you speaking quietly. That verse, at least the first part of that verse, has to do with um, John 14, what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, and so the Holy Spirit is working here today. Um, I just want to acknowledge that. My message is going to come from John 14, and so you can turn there. Again, as um, I have to, maybe you know the key verse already, but I'm going to read it here again in John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Again, um, just maybe a reminder because we forget. Um, in expository preaching, we're trying to reveal um, the character of God, and we're trying to reveal if this chapter was missing from the Bible, what would we miss about the character of God? And so that's what we're trying to um, dig out, trying to understand uh, more of the character of God through the different writers, um, more specifically today about what John wrote about Christ. And I, John, it seems like his whole theme is believing. Um, I've talked a lot about that. And as we look back, we're at chapter 14, as we look back, um, do you believe? And um, the other question, does your believing produce life? Just a couple questions there. We look at the setting here of, of chapter 14, and Jesus is still with his disciples there in the upper room, likely. Um, they just finished what we call the Last Supper. They just finished where Jesus instituted the foot washing. Jesus served them there. And um, maybe just minutes before this, Judas walked out, and Judas is working out a deal while Jesus is talking here, and Jesus is here with the 11 disciples living his last hour, not literally maybe last hour, but within 24 hours, Jesus would be hanging on the cross of his words here. That same night, Jesus would be taken 
chapter, I think I said this last time, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 were the last words of Jesus here on earth that John records. So imagine with me a little bit that you were there, that you were one of Jesus' 12 disciples. You, probably about three and a half years prior to this, you left your family, you left your occupation. A lot of them were fishers. They left their nets and they went to follow Jesus. Imagine that you have been following him now for three plus years. And imagine that you have witnessed the miracles that's recorded. Um, and the, one of the last verses that John writes is that if the world could contain um, all the books that Jesus, um, the miracles that Jesus did, and so we only have a fraction of what Jesus did. So imagine that you've seen um, a lot more than what's recorded here. You, you were with Jesus when he did these miracles, and that left you maybe standing in awe. Um, you imagine that you have experienced the dark times with Jesus out on the water, with the waves beating against the boat, and the exciting times with Jesus. And now you're ready to appoint him as king, and you would serve him your life long. And then Jesus says that he's leaving. He's leaving tonight. He's going to be arrested. And ultimately, he's going to die. Jesus also says that one of you are going to betray him. So imagine as you're trying to picture Jesus as your, I think, earthly king here, so at least most of the disciples probably still had this idea that Jesus was going to reign as king, his kingdom was going to be here, and so your, your mind is kind of thinking that way already, and so Jesus says he's leaving tonight, one of you are going to betray him, and he tells Peter he's going to deny him, another place he says that all of you are going to deny me. What would you be thinking uh, what would be your thoughts? What would be going through your mind? What would be your feelings? Would you be agitated? Would you be angry? What you thought was secure is now insecure. Would you feel insecure? Or maybe you'd be frightened. I mean, what's going to happen now? We thought this was going to be an earthly kingdom. Is it no wonder that Jesus says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Let's read chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. As you think of John 14, where do you hear John 14 read most often, at least parts of it? Um, a lot of times it's probably at funerals um, or a devotional at a visitation, a viewing night. Um, and there's a reason probably for that. John 14, it seems like the theme is comfort, assurance, and hope. And in a sense, I guess um, Jesus was kind of having his funeral service here for the disciples. 
Um, trying to show them comfort, assurance, and hope. In verse 1 there it says, to, not, to let not your heart be troubled. Troubled there has the meaning of to stir or agitate. And so, let not your heart be agitated. Stop being troubled. Or set your heart at ease. The innermost part of the disciples was being shaken, and that was their heart. Jesus says, if ye believe in me, believe in God, believe also in me. So he's telling them to not let their heart be troubled, and he's saying, you believe in God, um, believe also in me. That What I'm telling you is true. Place your confidence in God and in me as the mediator between God and man. You must believe in God. You must also believe in me. Morris says, Jesus is urging his followers to continue to believe in the Father and to continue to believe also in him. There is no recipe... For, um, we start over there. There is no recipe to fix trouble. It is only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no recipe to fix trouble. It is only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Troubles are an opportunity to believe in God. McLaren says, what signalizes him and separates him from all other religious teachers is not the clearness or the tenderness with, with which he reiterated the truths about his father's love or about morality and justice and truth and goodness, but the peculiarity of his call to the world is, believe in me, believe in me. Believing they're having the idea of to, trust, or to place one's trust in another. And John uses that over 90 times in his um, book here. He uses it uh, at least five or six times, maybe more here, I didn't count for sure, in just chapter 14 about believing. His whole, like I said earlier, John's whole thrust of his book was that you might believe. The disciples here were beginning to lose all hope of a secular kingdom and were becoming discouraged. In verses 2 through 3 there, Jesus says he's going to go and he's going to make uh, many mansions. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not here. It is a heavenly kingdom. This um, word mansions uh, means dwelling places. And I believe that there is a dwelling place um, for every human on the face of this earth. The key, I think, to entering that dwelling place and reserving a room in the kingdom is that you must believe in God as the Father and Jesus as your Savior. There is not too many people here for rooms that he's preparing. 
but I must believe. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Just a thought, a random thought maybe, is Jesus still making rooms today? Um, or has he got all the rooms made? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Another question, is Jesus troubled with the unbelief in my heart? He promises to return and to receive the ones that believe to himself. He says, we will be together again someday. There will be a grand reunion of every tribe, language, and nation. Set your heart at ease. We will come together again. Jesus also says there, there's two words, I go. Jesus wasn't taken to the cross, he went there. Okay, I think that's important to understand. Jesus wasn't taken to the cross, he went there. Jesus said, I go. He wanted the disciples, his disciples, to understand that this death that he was going to face was not an oops or an accident um, from God but was part of his father's plan, part of him following his command from his father. Heaven is heaven, not because of the mansions or the streets of gold or the pearly gates, but heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. He says that where I am, there ye may be also. So while Jesus is preparing a place for us, we can take comfort that he is also preparing us for that place. Now as he prepares us for that place, that may include troubles, disappointments, discouragement, like the disciples we're facing here, Will I believe in God in these times? Do you know the way? Is it clear? Thomas didn't. Thomas asked a question here. Um, he says, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know the way. Um, don't know where you're going. I'll say this. I think it is possible to follow Christ. I think it is possible to believe and struggle with doubts and confusion. Thomas here followed Christ and seen the miracles that Jesus did. And he still wasn't, didn't really know what Christ was up to, where he was going. Now I think Thomas is, I mean he's been called Doubting Thomas, um, but I think Thomas should be praised for being honest um, and clear with his confusion. He didn't just push it under the carpet and say, well, I, I really don't know what Jesus is doing or where he's going. I'm just going to just push it underneath the carpet, and hopefully I'll figure it out sometime. Um, I don't know if we would have the next couple of verses here if Thomas would have done that. 
Thomas was honest and clear with his confusion. And I also can just imagine, and thinking of the disciples' personalities here, that Peter and Thomas were probably opposites. Um, Peter was the type of person that says, I'll go. I mean, he jumped on the bandwagon probably right away and just, you know, I'll do anything for you. I'll die for you. And Thomas is like, I, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing here. I um, don't really know which way to go. Thomas was probably a little more slower to make decisions. Um, He needed to maybe think it through. I'm not sure, but I can just imagine Thomas and Peter probably opposites here. After Jesus um, returned, resurrected, and and came back to show himself to the disciples, Thomas said, unless I can, um, I didn't look it up for sure, but unless I can put my hands into his nail um, prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, um, I won't believe. And Jesus came back, and and I just, I can imagine Jesus saying, you know, maybe, here, Thomas, um, shove your hand into my side. This actually, this is for real. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And I think maybe that was a turning point in Thomas's life. I just thought it's a little bit, a little bit of a history of Thomas, what happened to him. Thomas took the gospel to tribes of India. Thomas died a martyr's death. You can read it in page 89 of your martyr's mirror. Thomas was tortured by the natives of Calamania, and his death, his martyr's death there, he was thrown into an oven, and it says that the oven did not phase him, and so they thrust spears into him in the oven, um, and that's how he died. And so Thomas, he here he seems like he's different from the Thomas here. Thomas risked his life for the sake of the gospel. Did he believe? Did Thomas find the way? Go down to verse 6 there. Um, We have the six of the seven I am statements that John records that Jesus made. He says here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that is totally opposite of what this world has to offer. We've, I think all of us probably have seen it this past year. This world offers confusion, lies, and death. And thinking of the way, the truth, and the life, is there anything else that you need or want to ask for? You may say, if only I knew or know which way to go. Or you may say, is this truth or is that truth what is true? Or you may say, why do I feel so dead inside? I want life. This, um, what Jesus says here of I am the way, the truth, and the life is one of my favorite um, statements that Jesus made. Um, it talks of hope, of courage, of comfort, of life, of peace. And just to meditate on 
just those words of the way, the truth, and the life um, is refreshing. For something different, I'm going to have everybody stand and we're going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life three times. Stand. First time, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, you may be seated. Jesus didn't say, I will show you the way. Or he didn't say, I will teach you the, the truth. Or he didn't say, I will offer to you the secrets of life. He said, he is. He said, I am. Do you believe that this is who he is? Test yourself. Where do you turn to first when you don't know which way to go? You can answer that question. When you're feeling overwhelmed with lies about yourself or others or God, where do you go for truth? When you are lonely, hurting, or depressed, what gives you life? What makes your ticker tick? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says that no man can come to the Father but through me. You cannot go to the Father without going to Jesus. You've probably heard the saying, there are many roads leading to God. If there are, Jesus is not part of them. Because there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. In verse 7 there, he says that if you know Jesus, you know the Father and have seen the Father. To know Jesus is to know God. And so Philip here is asking God, asking Jesus here to show him God. I mean, pretty much is what he's saying. Um, I want to see God. And that's all I need. That's sufficient. There is, I don't need anything else. That's it. Just show me the Father. And it's interesting that when Thomas here asked the question, and later when Judas asked a question, Jesus didn't address them personally. But Philip here, when Philip asked a question, Jesus addresses Philip personally. Jesus asked a question back to Philip. He wonders if he's been with him for so long, and yet he hasn't known me. In Philip's mind, God was still out there somewhere. If he could just see God, that would be all he needed. And so Jesus goes here and explains that Jesus and the Father, they're one. What Jesus says and what Jesus does was from the Father. And he tells Philip here to believe that Jesus and the Father are one, or he says, just believe for the works that you've seen.
Another interesting thing about the Gospel of John is the Gospel of John emphasizes much on how Jesus lived and spoke in constant dependence upon God the Father and did nothing outside his authority and guidance. Jesus stresses that a lot here, or at least John records that Jesus stressed it a lot, that Jesus does nothing outside of the Father. Him and the Father are one. The next few verses here, Jesus offers three assurances for his troubled disciples. The first one in, in verses 12 to 14 here. Um, Jesus says that when he leaves to go to his father, his work will continue here. And I can imagine the disciples probably thought that this is it. Our work is over. Um, this is the end. Um, there's, after Jesus leaves, that's it. And in reality, they couldn't see it then, but in reality, their work was only beginning and was going to be greater and the gospel would be spread farther. He talks here about greater things, greater works that you will do, um, greater things. The disciples had many more years than three years here um, to spread the good news, to spread the gospel. And Jesus expected his disciples to carry on the work. Not that they were going to be greater than Jesus, but they were going to be doing maybe greater things, be able to spread who Jesus is to more people, more nations, through the aid of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. If you just look at Acts, you can see that, see and read there, that many multitudes came and believed. A lot of that was through the influence of Jesus' disciples. Am I part of this carrying on of the gospel? What difference are you making in the lives of unbelievers today? So then Jesus addresses prayer here for a little bit, um, petitioning the Father. He says, if you ask anything, I will do it. Now that's pretty wide open. Um, what did Jesus mean there? Is it literal? Um, if you ask anything, that he will do it? Um, am I scared to ask anything? Um, there could be a lot of questions there. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard a few children's stories about answered prayer of maybe little things that um, God cares about and answers prayer. Jesus promised that he would do anything for those who ask and acted in his name. Barclay says, The test of any prayer is, can I make it in the name of Jesus? And so he says here to ask anything. Barclay says, The test of a prayer is, can I make it in the name of Jesus? No man, for instance, could pray for personal revenge, for personal ambition, for some unworthy and unchristian object in the name of Jesus. And so in your asking for anything, test it. Can I ask it in the name of Jesus? 
Another test to my prayer is, will it glorify the Father? Too many times for myself, I pray for personal gain and personal glory. So another test to asking for anything is, who's going to be glorified here? And you could go down a lot of trails here with prayer um, of asking of what prayers does God answer, what doesn't he? There could be a, probably a whole other topic on this. And so I'm just going to leave it there. The next assurance that Jesus gives to his disciples um, is in 15 through 17 there. Jesus says that when I leave... He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. First, he says that if you keep my commandments, um, you love me. Uh, actually, not quite what he says there. Um, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not, if you keep my commandments, you will love me. Okay? We don't keep the commandments and obey Jesus' word, um, words to earn his love or to gain favors. But I do it because I love him. And when I, when I love him, I will want to keep his commandments. And this loving Jesus is not some kind of sentiment or emotion, um, but it must always be connected to keeping his commandments, or it isn't love at all. I am a liar if I say, I love Jesus, but I want to do what I want to do. So Jesus promises his troubled disciples here the Holy Spirit. Here in the King James Version, it says, um, a comforter. The literal translation from the Greek says that, and I will petition the Father, and another paraclete he will give you. And um, like I said here, uses comforter here. The Greek word for comforter is parakletas, which means consoler. And um, paraclete actually is an English word. I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary. Um, it means advocate or intercessor, a helper. And so Jesus promises the disciples here that he will send a paraclete, an advocate, and an intercessor for them. And he says, this comforter, he says, will abide with you forever. He will not leave you. Jesus was leaving, but he says, this comforter will abide with you forever. He also mentions here the spirit of truth. Um, I don't know if this comforter and the spirit of truth was the same, was the Holy Spirit, both of them. Um, but this spirit of truth is not a friend of the world. The world does not understand the Holy Spirit. But you do. He dwells with you and is in you. The disciples would not be abandoned. They would not get less help, but more help. We cannot keep 
Christ's commands on her own. And I think Jesus knew this. And so he promised a helper, someone to help us follow Christ. And it's interesting that at this point in this chapter, we have all three of the Trinity mentioned. We have Jesus, we have his Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. Another way to understand this helper here is to understand the opposite. The devil is called an accuser, which is in total opposition to the name and the title of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we do um, to symbolize the Holy Spirit is baptism. Um, Baptism of the pouring on of the, of the Holy Spirit, the water there is a symbol. Um, but I do believe that when I become born again, the Holy Spirit comes on me, dwells within me. And um, the baptismal vows that you've taken, um, a couple of those questions address the Holy Spirit aiding you and helping you. Um, it's interesting that. Okay, the third assurance that Jesus gives his disciples is that when he leaves, he will make himself known to his disciples. And that's in verses 18 to 21 there. <clears throat> Verse 18 there, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. Comfortless, the meaning of comfortless um, is orphans. Um, so he's saying, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And um, orphan is a, we often think of them as a child, they're not necessarily, um, but an orphan is somebody who doesn't have a daddy or a mama. Um, he is alone in this world. And so Jesus is saying, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you an orphan. Um, I will come to you. That's comforting. That verse has a special meaning to me. Um, when I read, when I'm go um, and you probably do too, when you're going through something in your life and um, you come across a verse that speaks to you, um, you maybe mark it. I like to highlight it and I like to put a date beside that verse. And I have here on this verse, I have it highlighted and I have 5, 6 of 18. Not that many years ago, but this verse was carried me through that weekend. Jesus says, I will come to you. He will come back through the aid of the Holy Spirit and then ultimately at the end when he will um, return with second coming and receive his own to their dwelling places in heaven. So Jesus tells them here in verse 19 that I'm leaving soon um, physically. Jesus is going to be gone but he says after his resurrection, he will live and he will um, give life to his disciples also. Verse 20 there, Jesus is saying that he is in the Father. Jesus is saying, I am in the Father, Christ in me, and I in Christ. Um, that can be a powerful verse too, that Christ is in me and I am in Christ. 
In verse 21, Jesus says that um, if I love Jesus, I will keep his commandments. And I will be loved by the Father, and Jesus will love me. Here he says that he will manifest himself to me. The word there, manifest, meaning to exhibit or to disclose. Another word would be probably to reveal. He will reveal himself to us. So how will Christ manifest himself to us? Well, Judas asked the question here in verse 22, and um, who is this Judas? says here he's not Iscariot. And um, one, um, one of the commentators said that John, and this was just his own um, feeling, I think, that John had a special gripe against Judas Iscariot, and so John made sure to mention that this was not Iscariot. Um, I don't know if that's the reason John wrote it in here or not, but there were two Judases, um, and it was normal for people to have multiple names back then. This is also, they believe Thaddeus was also the same person. And um, in Luke 6, 16 and Acts 1.13, it says Judas, the brother of James. And so some interpret that, that it was a brother of James. Some interpreted that it was a son of James. Um, but either way, um, some say it could have been Jude, um, this Judas. So this was, there was two Judases that were Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot and this Judas, the brother of James. So this Judas asked Jesus how he's going to reveal, how he's going to manifest himself to them. And then Jesus explains that um, in verse 23 there, that if I love Christ, I will keep his words. And so that's also a good gauge to tell if I love Christ, is if I keep his words, if I keep his teachings. In verse 24 there, he says that if I don't keep his sayings, I don't love him. And so he's saying when I keep his sayings, I love him, and when I do this, the Father will love me, and the Holy Spirit um, will live in me. And so that is how Christ will manifest himself to us, is by him living in us. So verse 26 there, he brings up about the Comforter again, the Holy Ghost, um, the helper, he will teach us all things. And I thought it's interesting that he says there, he will teach us all things. So where do I go to um, when I am needy? Um, does the Holy Spirit aid me in those times? He says he will teach us all things. And he says, and if you forget, he will bring all things to your remembrance. So don't panic. Don't worry if you don't remember everything that I tell you, the Holy Spirit will remind you what Jesus is telling them here. And then we have verse 27, that's um, maybe a more common verse, talking about peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. In this, this time and in our personal times of trouble, of grief, of pain, um, of loss. What better words of comfort than to hear this? 
Peace from Christ alone. A question, does the world offer peace? Does the world offer peace? Maybe temporarily. But peace in my heart is invaluable. There is no price tag that I can put on it. I think there's two pieces. If you can get the right piece in your mind. The two pieces. There's a worldly piece that is not genuine. It's chocolate covered with coconut inside. I don't like coconut. It's avoidance of trouble. It's refusing to face things. It's maybe called insurance. It's always temporary, and it's an escape. That's worldly peace. Heavenly peace, as Colossians 3.15 puts it, to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's eternal. It's genuine. It's noticeable. People will tell. People can see it on you. No man can take it from you, and it's untroubled. Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples here, and um, the word peace here is the word shalom. Jesus was saying shalom. Um, In that culture, it was normal to greet and depart with the word shalom. Um, And shalom never means the absence of trouble. It means everything that makes for our highest good. So Jesus was saying shalom to the disciples here. Peace. And Jesus returns to what he said in in verse 1, to let not your heart be troubled. In verse 27 there. And then he says, don't let it be afraid. Don't be troubled with your troubles. Don't be afraid or worry. In verse 28 there, Jesus confirms that he is leaving, but that he's coming back. He turns the trouble here, the loss the grief into a rejoicing. He's saying, if you see the big picture, he says, I am being obedient to my Father, and my Father is greater than I. And so the disciples should rejoice that Jesus is obeying his Father. So he's turning the trouble into rejoicing for the disciples. In verse 29, Jesus is telling them that um, these things are going to come to pass. His death, um, that he's going to be gone here, so that when they see that happen, they'll remember what Jesus told them and they would believe. And in verse 30 there, he says that the prince of this world cometh. 
and hath nothing in me. I don't know for sure who the prince of this world is um, other than Satan, um, or was he referring to Judas Iscariot? I'm not sure. But remember that while Jesus is talking to the 11 disciples here, Judas Iscariot is at the, maybe at the high priest's office or at the judgment hall um, and bargaining with um, the rulers there um, and making out the final details to arrest Jesus that night. This is happening while Jesus is talking here. Satan had no control over Jesus. Satan could not push Jesus to the cross. Jesus went in loving obedience to his Father. This prince of the world had nothing in him. Jesus is going to the cross so that the world may know that he loves the Father. Jesus was obeying his Father because he loved the Father. In conclusion, is your heart troubled? Do your actions show others that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? In what ways is the comforter, the paraclete, the helper, helping you? And I'm going to read verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's kneel for prayer. God, we just acknowledge